Hi, everybody. Welcome to the June 29th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Nizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. All right, first of all, allow me to explain why we are all wearing Hawaiian shirts. Every year around this time, we pay tribute to a very special woman who was the floor director for this program for decades. Susie Aikman loved Hawaiian shirts, so every year we remember her fondly with a special and rather relaxing tribute by wearing Hawaiian shirts on this show. So with that explained, I'll let the program. Let's get a quick take on the overall turnout in this year's primary election that just finished on Tuesday. Over 1.1 million people voted, including over 290,000 unaffiliated voters for the first time. Patty Calhoun from Westward, we made news, and it was uh, part of my thing, about all these unaffiliated voters. This was going to be the big change. It didn't seem to change anything at all. Well, except for unaffiliated voters, they felt much more involved in the process. And I talked to a lot of people who were trying to decide, weigh things, decide, should I vote, should I not vote, which side, which side should I vote on? So they were really thinking about it. I think people felt much more engaged in the process. Not to quote Caldera, but it was fun as an unaffiliated to be able to be involved, especially after having had to sit through all those commercials for so long. As an unaffiliated voter, I didn't like the idea that he compared us to a little kid grabbing the wheel, but I understood his point, John. Uh, David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, the whole idea of unaffiliated voters was the headline, but it seemed the turnout, it was slow to come to, but the turnout seemed pretty good compared to other primaries. Uh, did you think the, the primary reason that is because of the competitive races we had on both sides of the ticket? Probably, yes. Uh, very competitive on, on both sides for the governor's race. Uh, whether the unaffiliated has made a difference is something we, we still don't know. That, that's partly because with these days, with the, the media being cut and cut and cut, um, uh, there wasn't exit polling, uh, or at least there wasn't much of it. So it, it doesn't look like the unaffiliated has made much, much of a difference in any of the races, but it would be nice to have some deeper polling data uh, so we could know for sure. Ed Lover from the Denver Business Journal. Uh, we've been talking all about it. What's your impression and also what you've heard from other folks in the field, other politicians, elected leaders about the unaffiliated voter impact? Well, I mean, I think a lot of the politicians didn't quite know how to go after the unaffiliated voter. Um, you know, just personal anecdotal evidence. My wife is registered with a party. I'm not. She got a ton of uh, direct mail. I got uh, two pieces from one candidate. So it wasn't like they were really reaching out to the unaffiliated. Uh, I think it is interesting to note how more than half of them voted within the last five days of the election, uh, and I don't know whether that is because they were waiting for so long or because for some it was just a matter of, okay, is my vote worth it at this point? I don't think the vote uh, showed unaffiliated influence this year. You got probably the most liberal Democratic candidate for the governor winning, and if not the most conservative, Walker Stapleton certainly played to the most conservative end of the party, um, but will that make them come out in two years because they saw what happened and they will want to make a difference in two years? Rounding up the panel, Joey Bunch, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics. It's great to have you back on the panel. Um, wrap it up for us about unaffiliated voters. Is this something that we're going to learn a greater impact later, or was it uh, second verse, same as the first? Well, I think this is a learn-as-you-go process, but I believe there's a myth about unaffiliated voters. You know, we all assume they're all these moderates. I don't think that's true at all. I think some people are unaffiliated because they don't think the Republican Party is conservative enough or they don't think the Democratic Party is liberal enough. So that doesn't mean that they're going to, if they don't think the Democratic Party is liberal enough, they're not going to vote for a conservative. You know, the one thing that we did see on primary day was a lot of people voting for Democrats. 
unaffiliated voters voting for Democrats. I think there were 100,000 more votes cast for Democrats than there were for Republicans. You know, that doesn't speak well for Republicans in November, regardless of whether the unaffiliated voters fall. We're going to break down the primary results with a couple of rounds. Let's start with the gubernatorial primaries that both went to each party's presumptive frontrunner, Jared Polis and Walker Stapleton. Polis's victory was over 20 points from his closest competition, Kerry Kennedy, and Stapleton enjoyed nearly the same gap between him and Victor Mitchell. Patty, we've talked about the big race. We love talking about politics around this table. I guess with the different ads, the money involved, it was easy to concede that Polis and Stapleton had the edge. I don't think people said there was guaranteed an upset, but there, it was getting close. A 20-point separation between Polis and Kennedy, I guess it was going to be in 19, 18 or 19 points between Stapleton and Victor Mitchell, were both surprising. A, I thought Stapleton would be a little bit further away, and I didn't think Polis would be that far away from Kennedy. Did it surprise you? Yes, because I bet with my office on Tuesday morning, and uh, I bet that they would both win, but I, I had very different margins. It didn't surprise me that Victor Mitchell didn't pull up as much as a poll they referenced had said he was pulling up. It just didn't seem like he was going to go there. Walker Stapleton had it all over with name recognition, and that seemed to be, and the fact that he was playing as far right as he could, that seemed to be something that would win in the Republican Party. I was a little surprised by how much Polis pulled ahead of Kerry Kennedy, especially given earlier polls that it showed he was maybe 11 points ahead and that she seemed to have momentum until it really stopped the day she was on this uh, the debate here when first day of negative advertising where she didn't respond well to the questions about negative advertising and I really felt at that point her momentum stopped and apparently reversed course because certainly Stapleton did a lot better. Meanwhile, I want to move to your neighborhood because I'm unaffiliated but wow, every day at least 10 pieces of mail. <laughs> David, it's our job to be uh, Monday morning quarterbacks about a race like this. When you look at it, just like Patty did, were there any uh, days and some moments that stuck out to you as this is where the big separation between, on, on both sides of the aisle, uh, both races that uh, appear to you? Um, on the Democratic side, when the Colorado Education Association came out with its ads attacking Mike Johnston, and that was, education was really the issue where there was a large gap um, among the candidates. And what happened ultimately was three-quarters of the voters in the Democratic primary voted for a candidate who was in the tradition of Democratic governors we've had going back to Roy Romer and Dick Lamb, which is they're not all like pro-vouchers for everybody all the time, but they are open to considering some moderate education reform ideas some of the time, as opposed to Kerry Kennedy, who was very much lying in the sand as the only thing the system needs is more money for the teachers' union, and we don't like even the existence of public charter schools or other alternatives for families. And so I, I thought, from my point of view, I thought it was great that three-quarters of the Democrats stuck with the traditional, potentially open to reform uh, position. In the general election, um, I think Polis will, even though he didn't get everybody to show up for his unity party, uh, I think you'll get most of the Democrats pretty readily. Same for, for Stapleton. They will both be very well funded. Uh, they're both capable of doing the job of governor as should they get elected. Uh, I think Stapleton's biggest weakness against Polis is probably the, the personality issue, which shouldn't be underestimated. That's, that's one of the reasons uh, Al Gore lost to George Bush in 2000. And on Polis's side, I think his big, biggest weakness is what he called his appeal 
after the election to rational Republicans, well, those kind of people are going to may be good at math. And Polis's very expensive promises during the election, you know, a complete government takeover of health care, uh, destruction of the oil and gas industry in the state of Colorado, on and on, uh, I think are going to be on the wrong side of uh, pocketbook-minded voters. Ed, uh, as a political reporter, amongst a variety of other uh, great topics you cover, uh, what were some of the things that you had heard in the days since the primary that may have uh, made an impact or made a difference, uh, whether it's campaign choices? I know that as, again, pure Monday morning quarterback in here, but uh, Kerry Kennedy had a laser focus on education. And if you were a, a, a pro-teacher, pro-teacher's uh, union type of a voter, you knew exactly where she stood. But where she stood on almost any other issue was not going to be readily apparent, at least with the ads. I don't know. It's easy to say 40s of the primary that was a problem. But what are you hearing about other things that were pivotal moments or issues in the campaign? Well, I think the pivotal moment was when Jared Pulse decided to dump 11 million of his own funding into Both this. I mean, I mean, in the end, I, I think it was hard to overcome that. You saw Polis everywhere. You heard him talking everywhere. I think it was a very bold gambit for Polis to go out and use some of that money to talk about um, uh, essentially universal government takeover of health care. Um, and I would question if he plans to do that again for the general election, but it clearly paid off well. He clearly had done the polling showing that's a big issue in the Democratic side. Um, I just don't think people were able to overcome that. I think it's interesting that you saw Mike Johnson pick up so much at the end. I mean, he was two weeks ago polling at 9%. He finishes with, I think, 24% of the vote. Um, I think you, you can attribute that to two things. One, kind of that late surge of funding he got as well. So his face got out a lot more in front of people. Uh, and at the same point, I really think, and this is just based on what I discussed two weeks ago in talking to people, unaffiliated broke wildly for Mike Johnston in that primary. Uh, polling it showed that we're going to break wildly for him in the general if he had that uh, shot to make it to the general. Uh, on the Republican side, I mean, there's not a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking. It was basically, this was Walker's race. This was Walker Stapleton's race ever since there, the deal was made or the convincing was done to get George Brockler to drop out of the race. Had he stayed in the race? And I did hear this a couple times next day. Brockler may have won. Um, yeah, he, in fact, a decent chance that he could have. Um, but, but without him, Stapleton was the big name going out there. And, and just to allude to what Dave said, I think this is really interesting. I, I, I'm kind of disappointed they both come out really slinging mud against each other because they can just say, let's talk about issues. And they are so opposite on energy, on health care, even on transportation. When we have Walker talking about we need to get money from within the budget, put it to highways, and we have Jared talking about, I don't know where the money's going to come from, but we need to put it to bike lanes and front range rail. I mean, these are two people who are going to present very different visions of the future in Colorado. And in some ways, I think that's great because voters really can decide based on what they want government to be. I think you struck upon what might end up being the issue of the campaign because it's where the biggest difference right? So I think the, the moderate non-party-based uh, voters, transportation. With a D or an R or a U behind your name, you still, everyone hates traffic. How the solution comes about that, that might be a big deal. Joey, you are also in the thick of political reporting with Colorado politics. Uh, you've talked to a lot of different people. What's, uh, when it comes to the governor's race, what have you heard as the impactful moments, issues, ads, etc.? Well, you know, Ed hit it right on the nail, hit the nail right on the head. You know, Walker Stapleton didn't win this on Tuesday. He won this a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. He locked up all the big money, all the big support.
support. And then it seemed like the, uh, the campaign was just an afterthought on the Republican side because, you know, we don't know anything today that we didn't know a year ago. A year ago, we expected Walker Stapleton and Jared Polis to be the nominees, unless you were Joey Bunch, who didn't think Jared Polis <laughs> would win the nomination. But all the wisdom had him winning it. And, uh, and that's exactly what we've got. You know, they do offer very different visions in the primary. But now they've got to run in the general election. And, you know, I don't think that we're looking at political calculus here. I think we're looking at political geometry because as the parties have receded further to the left and further to the right, the middle is just bigger. And to win this election, one side or the other is going to have to appeal to the middle. You know, uh, they had this unity rally on the Capitol steps today, and afterwards Governor Hickenlooper was saying that he believed Jared Polis will govern as a moderate if he's elected. So is, is John Hickenlooper going to go out there and make the case that Jared Polis is a moderate? He'll need to because Jared Polis hasn't made that case. That's, that's a very good point, and I think Dave made a good point, too, uh, that John Hickler has spoken to. Uh, Coloreds like to like their governors. They, they, they want, whether they're Democrat or Republican, they like to like them. It should be interesting. The top of the ticket got the most attention, but there was big news in other offices. Phil Weiser won the Attorney General Democratic nomination, a nail-biter against Joe Salazar, and the state treasurer's race will feature Democrat Dave Young versus Republican Brian Watson, who, in, who won his own primary by less than a full percentage point. David, of the, of the races that weren't governor, what stuck out to you is what our viewers need to know about. Well, I, I think it's notable in the, uh, across the board in the other Democratic races that the sort of Hickenlooper-Romer line of the Democratic Party is still influential and still predominant. We had a number of races where you had somebody who was, you know, certainly well on the left, which is the mainstream of the Democratic Party today, uh, and, and had the big endorse and the, the endorsements for most of the big groups, versus a candidate who was way further on the left, um, and the g guy who was the way further on the left ended up not coming very close. Not in the second district against Jonah Goose for what'll be Jer Jared Polis's uh, house seat that he's vacating. Not in the sixth congressional district where. Uh, Jason Crow won, even though Levi Tillerman certainly left it all on the table. I mean, he, if, if you hire the person who wants the job the most, somebody's willing to get sprayed in the face with bear spray for a TV <laughs> commercial is certainly showing that desire, but apparently, you know, wasn't enough there. Um, and in the, the first congressional district where there was some expectation that Diana DeGette's challenger from the left would do very well, the, the challenger didn't crack 30 percent. Um, so good for the incumbent or incumbent-ish, uh, incumbent favored side of the party. And on the Republican side, Doug Lamborn always has uh, tough primaries, and he's you know not that popular with the, the people who go to the Republican caucus. But he pulled off 54 percent, uh, so an actual majority. You didn't have to rely on only a split field. And, and the one thing where the, the, the far left of the party had a chance was the attorney general's race, and there it turned out that a last-minute push by Hickenlooper and the rest of the establishment was able to uh, drag Phil Weiser um, over, over the finish line to, to victory. Ed, what are the headlines from the non-gubernatorial races uh, we should know about that we should keep in mind as we head towards the fall? Um, I think the AG is, is the big one to me. There was no race in this cycle where the two candidates from one party were so opposite as Joe Salazar and Phil Weiser. I mean, with Salazar, you had a guy who is the kind of, and I don't want to sound pejorative with this, but the kind of bomb thrower that would make John Caldera look like a guy who cuddles kittens. Um, I mean, he, I mean, and I, and I say that I don't mean to be pejorative with that because that's Salazar's style. He wants to get in your face. He wants to grab your attention. 
I mean, and it was fascinating it, talking to the two of them for an article I did where, you know, both of them uh, hold probably similar views for the oil and gas industry. But when you talk to Phil Weiser, he says, look, I want to create a special unit in my office to deal with the problems that are growing between local governments and oil and gas companies. And Joe Salazar says, I want to basically sue oil and gas companies out of existence. You know, I, I want to prosecute them for the explosions over and over we're seeing. He wasn't short on really loud, I'm going to do this proclamations. And I think that, you know, it probably sets up a slightly more boring race in the uh, General Assembly between Phil Weiser and George Brockler, who can talk about vast policy differences, uh, but in, in quiet room uh, temperature voices. Um, I, I think the treasurer's race, and, and I accent this over and over again, is one worth watching simply because every treasurer of the last 20 years has run for higher office afterwards. Um, and now you have two people in this. There were, when you looked at uh, Bernard Dowett and, and Justin Everett who were in the race, they were people who were really talking about the state's portfolio. Dowett wanted to create a, uh, on, the, on the Democratic side, a, a public bank. Everett wanted to get in and dig into our returns. Now we have two people who are kind of the more classical treasurer mode, Dave Young on the Democratic side wants to use it as a platform to talk about fiscal reforms across the state. And Brian Watson on the Republican side wants to use it as a platform to talk about how legislators should understand the fiscal realities, the bills they're voting on. Um, so clearly two people who are looking at higher office, it seems, after this too. Uh, but it's very important for people to understand where they're coming from because in 48 years, probably one of them will be running for governor. Uh, and I think you make a very good point. I'm looking at uh, Dave Young's website this morning. And the first thing is like, how are we going to repeal and affect Tabor? Like, Probably the wrong job if you want to repeal it. But anyway, that, that's not for me to decide. Uh, Joey, uh, Treasurer's Race, AG Race, uh, were you surprised about the razor-thin margin that Weiser uh, defeated Salazar? I sure was because, you know, Weiser spent t raised ten times as much money as Joe Salazar did. And, you know, he had the backing. John Hickenlooper didn't endorse anybody in the governor's race, but he endorsed Phil Weiser. You know, Phil Weiser had every advantage, and then he had to fight to the very end to win. You know, that should concern Republicans. It shouldn't concern Republicans in the, um, in the attorney general's race because uh, I think George Brockler is going to win that. And, you know, they're already setting up the talking point that, uh, you know, as Westward, as Nora Alabi at Westward pointed out, Phil Weiser has only tried a handful of cases. And then, uh, then you've got uh, George Brockler, who everybody knows as the prosecutor in the Aurora Theater shooting. And then, you know, I heard, uh, I heard Wayne Williams say yesterday that the Democrats have nominated a uh, Secretary of State candidate who's never run an election and uh, an Attorney General candidate who's never tried a case. So that's, that's what the Republican talking points are going to be. You know, I was surprised, I was very surprised that Brian Watson won that election. I've been telling people that was another one that I missed. I thought it would be Justin Everett or maybe Polly Lawrence. But I didn't know much about Brian Watson, and I think that worked out to be to his advantage because Polly and uh, Justin had divided people up so much that, you know, they went for the fresh candidate, a guy who had get, gotten out there, a likable candidate, as you say, that people tend to, uh, to go for here in Colorado. You know, in the congressional districts, yay for the establishment because, you know, the establishment doesn't become the establishment by not knowing what they're doing. And across the, uh, up and down the, the ballot, you could see that, uh, you know, the people that, that the establishment wanted to win won. Now, will that translate into November? We'll see. Patty, anything that came to you as a surprise after you got um, buried from the pile of mail as an unaffiliated voter in Denver? <laughs> well, certainly one of the surprises was how close it was in the AG's race and the fact that Hick who knows if he would have won, if Weiser would have won, if Hickenlooper hadn't come out with that last-minute endorsement. You know, he did only because it was so close with Salazar. 
Um, I would say Dave Young would be smart to take some of his opponents, his Democratic opponents, DeWitt's ideas about the pot bank, and also DeWitt's his attack against Walker Stapleton for not doing what he said he would do with para, not going to a lot of the para meetings, which is what the treasurer is supposed to do. It makes Stapleton weak on that level, although it's also one of those vague topics no one ever wants to talk about in debate, but it's a good point for him as treasurer, and it'll also help the Democrats as they go up against Stapleton. District 6 is going to be, I think, the most fun to watch, even without the bear spray, and who knows, uh, maybe Crow will go get some, but <laughs> against Kaufman, who has been front and center going out against Trump, as opposed to, say, Walker Stapleton, who has been touting his Trump connections, Kaufman has been distancing himself as much as he can, but he's still going to have a real challenge from Crow. Let's get a quick take on this last one. The Supreme Court of the United States made headlines this week with the announcement that Justice Anthony Kennedy will retire at the end of July. Known as the court's moderate voice, his decision will give President Donald Trump a second appointment to the Supreme Court. Ed, your quick take on this bombshell from D.C. this week. Well, let's just localize this as much as possible. I see that Cory Gardner is already coming out lobbying for Allison Ide to be the next Supreme Court justice. Uh, while I think Trump will be under some pressure to pick a woman or a minority to fill this slot, uh, I don't think he's going to pick a second Coloradan in two openings. Uh, that said, this is going to clearly become an issue in the midterms, even though it will be decided by the time the midterms come around. Joe, your quick take on the big news out of the Supreme Court. Well, elections have consequences, and this is a big consequence. You know, Trump is going to leave his fingerprints on the, on the workings of this country for decades to come. And uh, Roe v. Wade, bye-bye. I think so. A bold statement, a bold statement. Uh, Patty, is there, do you think the uh, Democratic Party has put security detail beyond the, what's already exists for Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Well, and any any other remotely liberal judge on that, um, you know, Kennedy had been a swing factor on some votes. And when you see the decisions that were coming out this week that already had people on edge and all of a sudden the surprise retirement, um, at this point I'd probably be very happy with Allison Ide or Tim Ting Tinkovich, who've both been rumored. Now people are saying they want to go younger and to another coast, so we'll find out what happens soon. Dave, wrap it up for us. Actually, in this last term, Gorsuch voted in the close, like the 5-4 cases, he voted with the court's left wing more often than Kennedy did. Um, I, th I think the Kennedy retirement has two important factors in it, besides the fact that he's, he's 81. Um, one is the attempted filibuster of the Gorsuch nomination last summer, I think, convinced a lot of, convinced pe many people, including Kennedy himself, that the opposition was just there no matter what. Anybody nominated by a Republican president is going to get the full, you're the most awful person in the world treatment, and we're ever going to vote for you no matter what under any conditions. So Kennedy decided to go under conditions when he knew he could be replaced by a Republican. Trump's list of potential appointees is very mainstream for a Republican and is exactly the kind of people that uh, President uh, Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio uh, would, have, uh, would have been appointing. And I think Kennedy's timing was also strategic to preserve his strong legacy on the First Amendment. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, the news of the shootings in Annapolis was... Uh, horrifying, and it should be horrifying for everyone, especially in this time when there is the heated discussion of fake news and some talk show radio is almost suggesting this isn't a bad idea. Let's remember our homegrown terrorists, the people who have serious, serious problems. We need to take care of our home problems first. David. 
Uh, to, to follow up on what Patty said, the, the folks on various sides of the political spectrum who were trying to incite mob violence in the, the streets and also folks who, on, for different political reasons, are into a, a cult of personality uh, for their, their supposed dear leader. You can look at what happened in Argentina over the last century where you had a country that was one of the most prosperous in the world and had a strong constitutional government and it went gone a long way uh, downhill because of the, the very same trends that so many people in the United States are, are currently embracing. Ed, few people in this world deserve each other as much as Donald Trump and Congresswoman Maxine Waters. But Waters went a step way too far in publicly encouraging people to harass administration officials when they walk out on the streets. We've reached this point in our country because of a lack of civil dialogue. We need statesmen, not bomb throwers, trying to one-up each other. Here, here. Joey. The uh, Democrats had their unity rally on the steps of the Capitol today, and everybody was there except the people who lost to Jared Polis, and I think they needed to be there. You know, Ed, um, Ed, Ed I'm sorry, Ernest Looning covered it for us, and you can read that story on coloradopolitics.com. But, you know, visuals are everything in politics, and the visuals we see today is a broken Democratic Party. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? Tom Edwards, an evergreen potter who's been working for four decades and was surprised to find that his, and this is true, an image of a farting unicorn, which was on his <laughs> mug, Wally, wallypots.com, um, had been appropriated by Elon Musk after he'd already said he happened to love the mug. And it is now a story we had this week, and it has gone around the world. And Elon Musk has had to pull all his tweets saying that Potter should just be glad he um, stole his art. David. <laughs> there are some irresponsible folks in journalism, and you could name some folk people with CNN or, or other news outlets, but especially the people who work for small-town newspapers are not doing it for the money. They work long hours and work really hard to help their community. Ed. Local tourism leaders, two weeks after finding out Visit Denver had broken tourism records for its 12th year in a row, we find out that Colorado tourism office officials have gotten us up to the number eight state to visit the country. Fantastic for our economy. They really like us. Joey. The state civil rights division is renewed for 10 years starting on Sunday, and I want to commend the legislatures, uh, Crisanta Duran and Leslie Harrod on the left, and Senator John Cook on the right, who worked out a compromise in the last hours of the session. I want to say something nice about David Steele. David donated his 2000 Jeep Cherokee, following our friend Patty Calhoun's model, uh, 233,000 miles on it. He picked CPT 12 because of Colorado Inside Out. He loves the diverse opinions without the rancor and squabbling. David Steele, thank you very much for your car donation. We very much appreciate it. We promise very little rancor and very little squabbling. Do I get it? <laughs> no, you do not get it. No, you do not. Uh, next week, we bring you a very special treat. It's time again for a trip in the Colorado Inside Out time machine. This year, we head back 50 years to 1968. Many historians point to 68 as one of the most tumultuous years in American history. Tune in next week to see our take in this huge year. This will be our final trip in the time machine. We are retiring the DeLorean, but I think this made for a very fitting finale. We hope you enjoy it. That is all the time we have for Colorado Inside Out on this edition. Take CIO wherever you go. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, we are there. Check out our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. And for everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Have a very wonderful 4th of July. Good night. Mm -hmm.